I'm Leah Carey, and this is Good Girls Talk About Sex. This is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with the things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. In today's episode, we'll meet Eveline Dacker, a 53-year-old cisgendered woman who describes herself as half Mexican and half Jewish, bisexual, biromantic, and polyamorous. Eveline is a physician in Salem, Oregon, and she's the CEO of Sex Positive Portland, an organization dedicated to understanding and exploring all aspects of human sexuality. Today's episode is a little different because in addition to sharing her personal story, Eveline also explains the STARS conversation, a formula she created to help all of us talk about sex. This information is so important that rather than doing a Patreon episode, I'm releasing a bonus episode for all listeners. Look for the STARS episode in your feed immediately following this one. Now, the sound quality of this week's interview is not perfect, but it's because rather than sitting in a studio, Eveline invited me into her home. She and I sat on the floor of her bedroom and chatted. So throughout this recording, you'll hear the sounds of daily life, cats climbing on laps, planes flying overhead, etc. I am so pleased to introduce Eveline. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. You are the CEO of of this organization that has become intensely important to me over the last six months, Sex Positive Portland. And I'm so grateful to you for the work that you do, both with Sex Positive Portland and being a sex positive physician. So thank you for being with me today. Oh, you're welcome. So I know a bunch about the things that you teach, but I know very little about who you are personally. So I'm really excited to learn from you um, what your story has been. So the place that I start with everyone I interview Mm -hmm. is, what is your first memory of sexual desire? Wow, I think it must have been between six and ten. And I... um, but I didn't know what I was having with sexual desire. I have always masturbated ever since I was a baby. And so to me, that energy was always just a part of who I was. And I think that I remember identifying it to, in relationship to another person between the age of six and 10. I think that it had to do with a sitcom or a TV show that I remember feeling attracted to some woman on the show. And then that kind of fed into this thing that I did, which I didn't have a name for for many years. 
Um, so when you say that you masturbated even as a baby, mm-hmm. was that, uh, I'm curious how you discovered it, but I'm also curious, like, did you masturbate to something that you would now call an orgasm? Yes. I don't think I ever necessarily discovered it. I think it was probably something that just was innate, honestly. Uh, I've seen other children do this and other female children do this. So I, I just, it's kind of was like a self-soothing behavior that I had that I just did. And I did go to orgasm. I had no awareness of what I was doing, nor did I even have a name for it until I was about 12 or 13 years old. But I knew that what I was doing was something bad because I was hit for it and told not to do it. And one of my most traumatic memories uh, was when I was in second grade. I think I was doing it in the classroom. And I was told not to by the teacher, and I listened. But then I was called to the principal's office, and my mother, and the counselor, and the teacher, and the principal were all there. And they all were telling me this is something that you can do in private, but you shouldn't do it in public. And I had no idea what I was doing. Nobody ever said anything about what I was doing. And then when my mother caught me, she would hit me and told me what I was doing was bad. But again, I didn't know what I was actually doing. So I ended up just taking it to like my bedroom and to my own private space at night. And I didn't find out about what I was actually doing until I read this Judy Bloom book. Hello, God, this is me, Margaret. No, it wasn't in that book. (laughs) Because that was where I figured it out. (laughs) It was in the book Dini. Okay. Which was about a girl with scoliosis, and she had to wear a back brace, and she discovered masturbation in, I think she was in the bathtub, and I was, my mind was blown. My mind was blown by that. It was like, all of a sudden, there was a word to it. All of my sex education came from Judy Bloom. Yeah. She was my first sex positive role model. And I actually think that because of masturbation, and I didn't know what I was doing was orgasming either, until I was 16 and I had a boyfriend and he was fingering me and then I came and he's like, whoa, you do that really quickly. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's what I'm doing. (laughs) So I still didn't have it quite put together. But I have a feeling that like because I was able to self-satisfy and self-pleasure, I didn't have this need for a partner for a long time. And I didn't have this need to have sex until I was about, I was almost close to 20 when I had sex. And I didn't, even though I had a boyfriend for two and a half years in high school, we never did anything because I didn't really feel like I had to. And was he okay with that? Um, you know, it's funny. He just dated other people. I'd find condom in his, condoms in his room and I'd be like, oh, okay. And you know, I, I'm kind of funny because I think because I, at that point I felt very Catholic too. So I wanted to wait till I was married and he respected that. So using that, it felt fine. And if he was going to be with other people, I was okay with it. So you were kind of having an open relationship without ever realizing that that's what it was. I think, it was a, I think I've had open relationships in almost every single one of my relationships, except for my marriage. And so, and I was also, I taught myself compersion at a very young age too. I think I was like 14 or 15 when I taught myself 
compersion two ways. One, because I had this incredible crush on this boy who I just like totally was crushing out on. And then he ended up finding another girlfriend. And instead of being upset, I decided I was just going to be super happy that he was happy with this other girl. So it made me happy to see him happy. And then when all my girlfriends, you know, when you're, when you're that age, like your girlfriends are everything. And when they started having boyfriends, instead of being jealous about them having boyfriends, I was just like, no, they're happy. So I'm going to be happy for them. So I kind of taught myself how to deal with my jealousy by becoming compersive. I first fell in love with somebody when I was 20 and he was my first sexual relationship. And I thought, oh, this is going to be the person I marry because this is a story I have in my head and he's perfect. But of course, it only lasted one summer. He cheated on me, ended up in another relationship. And I was kind of heartbroken and I was away at college. And I, at that point, I was like, wow, why couldn't we just still be together? And he could be with her when all the time. And when I come home from college and we could see each other. And, but anyway, that those, that model just didn't exist in my world. Well, but, it's interesting because mm-hmm. you use the word cheating, mm-hmm. which is, which is because he didn't tell me. And <laughs> what he did. Yeah. So if he had told you, it could have potentially ended differently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> and then And what's interesting is that him and I continued a sexual relationship for the next 10 years until I met my husband. And he would have girlfriends and we would have sex together. I never felt bad about the fact he had girlfriends because I didn't really, I wasn't involved with anybody where I was ever monogamous. I just didn't have relationships that way. My primary relationship was my, with school and everything I did. Like, I've always been one of these people who had a really big life outside of my relationships. So I would, I would travel, I would be in school, and then my relationships would kind of have to fit into that. So I never, I never felt like, oh, you have to be just with me. And all of my relationships when I was in my 20s were, they weren't closed. We didn't necessarily use the word monogamous or non-monogamous. I I feel like I took a 22 year, no, a 24 year detour into heteronormativity, kind of um, 22 years of that monogamous. So when I met my spouse, I was 27, just about to finish medical school. I was a couple months away. And I was at this point in my life where it was like, oh, okay, settling down sounds like Like I'm ready. I'm kind of done with all the hard work and I have residency and then like I get a job and, you know, life goes on. And I never imagined myself meeting anybody though. Like I always thought I was too out there. You know, I was the weird one in medical school. (laughs) I was the rebel even then, you know, I was the one who would go to class kind of wearing booty shorts and thigh high boots. And, (laughs) you know, I was always quite my rebelliousness and just wanting to not fit into that mold of what you're supposed to be like has always been strong with me. So I just, like most American men were just super intimidated by me. Almost all my, a lot of my partners were European. Um, I had some female partners as well, but they were not, they were outside of the medical community. Yeah, I just couldn't, I never, if, if I was, if somebody was to be voted the least likely to get married and have children and settle down into mainstream America, I would have been voted that person. (laughs) (laughs) And then I met my spouse on a beach in Thailand 
um, when I was just starting a rotation, I was doing a rotation in Thailand and he seemed to be like exactly everything that I ever imagined I wanted a partner to be. Uh, he was literary, he was smart, he was funny, he was European, he was handsome, bisexual, what else? He wanted to be a writer at the time, like his passion was to be a novelist. And I was like, this is perfect, I'll work, you could be the novelist, you could stay home with the kids if we have them, and we'll like have this perfect little life. And so... Within four days of meeting, we decided that he was going to move from Australia, which is where he was living, to come to the United States. And I had no idea where I was going to be, where my residency was going to be. And we were going to start a life together. Wow. And we were in love. We were in like big NRE, right? Yeah. And some people won't know that. Oh, new relationship energy, crushing infatuation, that yummy oxytocin that kind of runs through our system and clouds everything. You know, we were madly in love. So enough to move from Australia to United States. And, you know, we had this one experience. I went to Australia to visit him and we went to this dinner party and I was kind of flirting with this man and this woman. And there was like this energy there. And there was like this energy there between the four of us. And I kind of remember picking up on that energy and being like, Oh my God. And then David and I went home and, and we had, we were like, Whoa, wow. Maybe something could have happened. And I think both of us really regret not flowing with that because if something happened that might have changed the entire, there are so many different areas in the beginning where our entire course of our relationship might have been changed. Mm. And this is one of them. And I remember being excited by that idea, but didn't know how to navigate it in a new relationship with somebody. Mm. So we went to a kink club together and he was like, yeah, this is totally not my thing. So that kind of closed down that book, that page in our future. Um, he had a really hard time with my bisexuality. It very much threatened him. And I think that his monogamous, you know, mind made it very difficult for him to, to deal with my bisexuality. So that closed that down. And unfortunately, there were a couple of things that happened in our beginning of our relationship that really set the tone. One is that he's an alcoholic and being married to an alcoholic is kind of like living in a dream world where you know something is wrong, but everybody, but everything around you tells you that it's not wrong. So I accepted a lot of the bullshit that comes along with being married to an alcoholic, which includes gaslighting, raging, um, unpredictability, emotional abuse, sometimes physical abuse. Um, because I wanted to maintain the status of our fantasy. And we had like the best falling in love and what I used to call like our inception story. Our inception story was so powerful that it kept us together for 20, you know, something years. Wow. And it kept the illusion of who we were together. All of our friends bought into it. Our kids bought into it. You know, like this beautiful story of how we met and how we came together. And and yet there was always another person involved and it was alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I knew it and I always struggled with that. The other thing that happened is that 
I went on birth control pills when I met him and I had never been on them before. I never needed to be. And, um, it changed my hormones so that I had a lot of vaginal pain with sex. And so I had a lot, and I was on hormone, I was on birth control pills for almost my entire residency for about three years of our relationship. And I had terrible pain with sex for three years. And instead of seeing a doctor or being curious about it or trying to find different ways of sexual expression around it, I just put up with it. And so I was a resident who hardly slept, who was stressed who was married to a man who just left his entire life and friends and everything he knew from Australia to come live with me, who was a drinker, and I had vaginal pain. So the very beginning of our relationship was really problematic, but we stayed together because we had this belief that we were soulmates and we were meant to be. And um, I went off birth control pills and oh my, my pain went away. And then I got pregnant and had my kids and, you know, and so then we started that part, chapter of our life of raising children together. And I never felt sexually compatible with him. Wow. Ever. Even once the vaginal pain. Mm -hmm. went away. Mm -hmm. Even, I kind of even remember when we first had sex, like it was really great at first, but I was like, really like, whoa, you really fuck differently than what I'm used to. <laughs> and I really, missed what I was used to. And my spouse is a, you know, is a handsome, tall, kind of masculine presenting male. And all my other male partners had a lot more feminine energy to them. And I would say they're more sensual lovers than more sexual lovers, if that's the best way I could do it. And I was married to someone who is a very sexual lover. When you say that, do you mean sort of like going straight for the intercourse? No, not okay. even that. No, just the way the intercourse happens, uh -huh. you know, was more like sexual energy moving versus sensual energy moving. Mm -hmm. And my preferred style is much more of a sensual energy moving. So slower, continual, um, getting into a rhythm with a person and really staying in that rhythm with someone versus kind of like changing rhythms depending on what they're needing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just never really felt resonant with him and compatible with him sexually, and I didn't like sex. Mm. Like, it always was something I had to do. You are now, these years later, like the... Mm -hmm godmother for the rest of us and <laughs> talk about sex and talk about all of mm -hmm. the things about mm -hmm. sex and what you like and what you don't like. Mm -hmm. But it's so interesting to hear you talk about this period when it sounds like you weren't really communicating. You know, one of the problems with my communication with him was I would tell him things and he would forget them. You oh know, God, I've been in that relationship. Right. Like I would say, Oh, you know what you're doing when you go down on me, that doesn't really work. Can we try something else? And he would try something else. And I'd be like, yeah, okay. Okay. But then the next time he would just go back to doing his own thing mm -hmm. and he would yuck my yum a lot. I think my yum threatened him. So he would yuck my yum. So can you, again, can you explain what that means? Um, that just means like something that I wanted to do or sounded interesting. He would be like, "Ugh, no, mm -hmm. he sees himself as very progressive and not having issues he had a lot of issues. Like he did not want to witness me, my children being born from my vagina because he was scared that it would change the way he saw my vagina. Mm -hmm. But he was very 
angry and hostile towards me and hurt by my denying sex to him because I never had a libido. I really wasn't interested in intercourse. And, you know, he would use porn a lot, but then it, he would, ha he would, then his use of porn would make me not want to be interested in him. But then he would say he had to use it because I wasn't interested in him. Really, when I go back and I turn all the knobs, I mean, I know what was wrong with us. And I always knew it was like that question that you don't want to know the answer to, but you know the answer to, but you don't want to hear what the answer is. Like I always knew the answer to our problems, but I didn't want to hear it until I just, it was screaming so loud I had no choice. And the answer to is I was never safe. I just wanted so badly to fit in and to believe that I could be married to somebody who loved me. And to be able to raise kids and be successful and to raise kids in a, in, within the context of a marriage and to have live in a really nice place and have a business and, and be able to travel and just live the life we had, like to be as mainstream as possible. I wanted that so badly that I was willing to compromise who I was as a human for that and so I lived in a relationship that was abusive that was not safe that I wasn't seen or heard or my values weren't honored and um, it took a lot to get out of it Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. And together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching.
as I entered my 40s, I recognized that, like, my sexuality was not, it was going to leave me someday. I could see this happening with all my menopausal patients. And I was like, oh, my God, this is really scary. And then I discovered something. I discovered roller derby. <laughs> There's this thing called like roller derby saves your soul. Okay. There's actually a song. This is like roller derby saved my soul, and in a way it did. And I read about roller derby in the New York Times, so that legitimizes it. Because if you read something about the New York Times, then it has to be okay for like a middle class physician to get involved in. But I was like, oh my god, this is like perfect. I love roller skating. It's all women. You get to dress up. You get to have a pseudonym. You can be something else than what you are in your normal life and it looks like so much fun so I was like I really wanted to roller derby and there wasn't a team here in Salem so I ended up um I just was like oh I'd love to go up to Portland but it's too much of a commute with little kids and blah 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 but they started a team in Salem so I remember being on a hike with my house with my husband I'm like so they're gonna do this team and I'm gonna join it and he's like I don't approve of it. I feel like it's too, like it was below me. It was too crass. I think that was what he said. He goes, it's too crass for you. I don't like that idea of you doing it. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care what you think. I'm going to do this. I, I need to. And I totally just, it was the first time as an adult that I walked into something and I was like, these are my people. I mean, it was so powerful for me to just to be with a bunch of women of all sizes, colors, shapes, physical ability, and just be like, we're going to come here. We're going to skate. We're going to wear booty shorts and fishnets, and we're going to have fun. And in the beginning of the roller derby team, it was more about fun than about competition. So I just loved it. And all of a sudden I was around a lot of women and there was lots of sexual energy. And I was like, I like my bisexuality wanted to come back alive. So the parties, you know, women would be smooching on each other. And of the, I did say in my, in my agreements with my spouse, the only agreement I met, I said about monogamy was that I was allowed to kiss other people. I told him that I never wanted to not be able to kiss somebody else. You had set that up at the very beginning. At the very beginning, okay. but that's the only thing I asked for. And never up until this point did I did I do anything about that. Oh, wow. So there was this one woman in particular that I really liked, and she was a lesbian who was in an open relationship with another woman. And so we talked about like having something, and I was like, oh, yes, I really need this. And I talked to my spouse about it, and he's like, sure, okay, but one day he caught, I was here talking on the phone with her cause she had just come back from a mission to, to, uh, Haiti. He called me talking on the phone with her and he was like, okay, I am uh, vetoing it. You can't, you can't be friends with her. You could have sex with her, but you can't talk to her. You can't be friends with her. You could no longer talk to her. You have to stop being Facebook friends with her. You can't see her ever again. And so I was like, whoa, but women, we kind of like have relationships. I tried to explain that to him and he just didn't get it. He's like, it's okay for you to have sex, but that's it. And so he vetoed that and I, being the good wife, listened to it and followed him and um, really struggled, really, really wanted to have sex with another woman. And I went on Ashley Madison 
I was doing a lot of conferences around this time to learn about functional medicine. I was going to these like functional medicine conferences and I was like, oh, this is perfect because I'll be gone. I could just meet somebody, have sex with them. It can happen. And then I could come home and I'll feel better. And, you know, and date, it won't be, I guess, a relationship. So I kind of went online to Ashley Madison where one goes to have relationships to have affairs. And, um, I met somebody and we had been talking and I was like really, really excited. And it was like looking like a big thing. And then I was totally stood up. Oh, <laughs> I was like totally catfished, you know, it was probably somebody who was sending me fake pictures and all of this. And I was devastated. I was really like, okay, this is just not meant to happen. And it's just not going to happen. And that's fine. I'm just going to go back to being monogamous, not that I really did anything anyway, and just being with my husband. And that was around 2010, 11-ish. Then we had a really rough year of him drinking very badly, and then he went a year of being sober. Was he actually sober, or was he like a dry drunk at that point? What do you mean? So my dad was an alcoholic and um, he spent some time being like, I'm going to prove to you that I can be sober so that you'll get off my fucking back. Yes. Yes. That's what he was. That's the dry drunk. Right. And so he was that, um, and he'd go through periods of doing shit like that. Like, Mm -hmm. because he was not an alcoholic, you know, it was, I had the the problem. Yes. I was the only person who had a problem with his drinking. He didn't have a problem with his drinking. I'm familiar with those conversations. So, um, we had this thing happen. We were out in Taos and we went into a store and this woman who was at the store totally started flirting with him and I it totally turned me on I was like oh my god that's so hot and I love and after we left and I didn't really tell him things when it turned me on because he usually like yucks my yum so it was and it was very hard for me to communicate with him when I was like turned on in general but I was like so turned on I was like oh my god that was so hot I love that and he immediately got angry at me and just started yelling at me telling saying how could I not just love him and find him attractive for who he is why does it take somebody else doing this and how could I he does so much for me and why am I you know and it devastated me I mean, it totally devastated me to the point where I shut down sexually altogether. I became anorgasmic. I I lost everything. I mean, I'd already been through so much with him that at that point it was like, this is over. I can't imagine us, me being sexual. I realized, so the what I have to look forward to is when I'm menopausal, it'll be good because I won't have a sex drive anymore. So I'll be able to deal with this. And... This is what it'll take for me to be married to him. It's just not having a sex drive because having a sex drive and not being able to do anything with my partner is really difficult and there's no option. So then I read the book, Mating in Captivity, and I was like, oh my God, I just read this great book. She talks about like this invisible third. So like if maybe if there's another person that I could have a crush on or do something with, we can maybe opening up our relationship. Sure. Okay. We're going to open up our relationship. And so... Pretty much, I made the decision that we're going to open up our relationship. And again, I was going to all these conferences. So I had friends at conferences and I started kind of this 
sexting, texting kind of thing with one of these friend, male friends of mine because before it was only women. Mm. Now it was like open to everybody. And had this been communicated with him or were you doing this on your own? This I communicated with him. Okay. And, you know, like there were times in the past where I wasn't totally communicating with him because I knew that if he knew, he would just tell me to stop. And I didn't want to stop because I was already shutting down so much. But this time, yeah, we, and he, he, I said, you have to read this book. And he listened to her TED talk mm. and he's like, okay, I get it. I know what we're doing. That was it. So he never even read the book. So, um, so we started opening up our relationship and then I started fooling around with my female friends and like just everything kind of opened up and, um, he hadn't. This He started drinking again, but it was very slow. You know, when a person goes back to drinking, they start really slow. And it takes them a while to ramp up. And then during the summer, he was back to where he was. Ramped up. It was all my problem. And I started shutting down. So even though we had opened up, it's like things weren't going that great for us. In September, I met a man. And it was, you know, again, I only wanted these like casual thingamajiggies because I had my husband. And David was drinking a lot, and I met a man online, and it, it was a lot more than just something casual. Like, it was one of those, like, meeting soulmates that saved my life. Um, it was a really deep relationship, and deep on a sexual healing level, like, we resonated so well sexually, like, like uh, even to this day. I mean, he's the person that kissed me the most that I felt like, oh, my God, I could kiss this person forever, like, you know. And um, he had some sexual issues that he was working through, too. And so in a way, we just were each other's healers. And it was very deep, and we saved each other's lives. But my husband was never able to give me space for that. And it just, I, I knew that having that relationship meant losing my marriage. And it pretty much did. Like, I so wanted my spouse to be happy for me to find my sexuality and to heal. And I wasn't just healing from this marriage and what this marriage did to me. But I was also healing from, like, the trauma that my mother gave me from hitting me when I was young. And telling me to shut my sexuality down. And my spouse was telling me to shut my sexuality down. I mean, I was always told that to shut my sexuality down. And I had. I had totally done it. And to meet a person who not only sexually resonated with me, but told me it was okay to be a powerful woman. And he validated my power and was like, no, there's people out there, there's men who could love that. And that was really, uh, to this day, I still have to remember him saying that because it's hard for me to believe all the time. And I ended that relationship because I had to, because of, because my spouse just couldn't hold space. It was just too much, you know, the fighting afterward, the rejection. I would come home and he would just outright reject me. Um, I was like, oh my God, I had such amazing healing and now I'm coming home and you're rejecting me? Like, he, he just was so angry that he couldn't be the person who did that. But he couldn't. And... Um, and when I left that relationship, my marriage 
actually became incredibly abusive. It came really, really bad because my spouse just expected me to turn right back and be who I used to be and be with him. And I was like, no, I'm this different person. I'm like, I have different needs and I need to explore and there's so much healing I need to do. And I, I want to stay married. Could you make space for me to grow and heal and, and be married? And ultimately he could not do that. Did you have a vision of what marriage could look like? You know, before, yes. Because when I was in my 20s, I remember reading things like Henry and June and watching the BBC series Portrait of a Marriage, which is about, I think, Violet Sackwell West and her husband, and both of them are bisexual, or maybe her husband was gay, and maybe even her husband was not able-bodied, and they had outside lovers, and they had this big group of, like, you know, literary friends and we're in the avant-garde and, you know, and I was like, I want that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's what I wanted, but I didn't, that's just not what I manifested. Mm -hmm. And during this time when I opened my marriage and maybe for a couple of years, like from roller derby time actually, is when I started my, my journey into learning about sexuality. Like I, when I started yeah, so I was about 45 when I started I started taking classes at Shebop. I wanted because I didn't like giving oral sex like I took they had an oral sex class that I took like four times because huh. I really wanted to know what I was missing and we took you know, I just took every single class I could find on sexuality and I started writing about it on Facebook to all my roller derby friends like, "Hey, I'm going to answer questions about, you know, sex." And I just really started this exploration and um during all of it so it's how i became i started learning who i was like i went to a class that was all about alternative relationship styles and i learned what polyamory was and i was like oh my god i'm polyamorous like that fits me because i have this like one of my primary relationships is with my best friend and i have all these girlfriends that are so important to me and even though i'm married like they're all heart love relationships and you don't have to be sexual to have a love relationship and so when i discovered i was polyamorous like that just killed him mm. he just you know <laughs> the funny thing is is now he's so not into being monogamous <laughs> yeah we got separated three days after our 22nd anniversary, marriage anniversary. And I don't regret it. You know, we are, we are friends. We still, we hang out together. He stopped drinking in 2014 when I was involved in that relationship with this other person. He has not gone back to drinking, although I wouldn't necessarily say he's a recovered because he hasn't really done a lot of work or processing around it. He feels like now that he doesn't drink, he doesn't have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we're no longer married, I'm able to be who I am, and he could see that, and he could hear the places of trauma. Mm-hmm. That he's like he, he actually listens now without being defensive about the places where I was really hurt in the marriage. We, our marriage had its really amazing moments and I'm very grateful for it. And I'm really grateful to be out of it. Um, I learned so much and I think that's one reason that I 
really could empathize with so many women and what they go through in relationships and long-term relationships because I was there. I understand it. I understand what it's like to be monogamous for a very long time. And I could see how that's really perfect and and works too. I have nothing, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with monogamy as long as it's something that you choose and not something that you just feel like you have to do. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation you can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing. There is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Before we let Eveline go, let's do the quick five. Five quick questions that we'd usually be too polite to ask anyone. Favorite sex toy? My hand. Oh, I love that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Hair down there or bare? Bare. Okay. How long have you been doing that? I got lasered at about 45. Oh, okay. So that's permanent. That's not shaving. Okay. Your go-to masturbation fantasy. Ooh. Oh. um, Usually kind of a non-consensual encounter of some kind usually me being the receiver but sometimes the other way around too 
Oh, interesting. Where I'm seducing somebody. Yeah. Okay. Um, how much noise do you make during sex? I'm moderately noisy. Um, you know, again, it depends on context, but I definitely have a voice. When I was married, I was incredibly silent. I had no, I was totally silent. Could even orgasm. So I could totally, I could orgasm silently without touching myself. I could just do it like in my thinking and I could make myself have an orgasm. Wow. I'm really very, very orgasmic. Oh my goodness. Because I've been doing this since I've been a baby. Right. That's why I tell people when people are like, whoa, I have an I struggle. It's like, no, I've been doing this since I've been a baby. I like, <laughs> I, I have lots of years behind me. So I'm pretty good at it. Do you have any erogenous zones that aren't commonly known and other women should try? Well, I, my lower back and ass, like, very, like touching on my ass and my lower back are probably my favorite erogenous zones. That totally gets me off. <laughs> cool. All right. Evelyn, thank you so much. This oh. has been amazing. And I'm so happy to have had this time with you. Yay. Thank you. I'm sorry. I kind of cried and kind of talked a lot. So, you know, <laughs> I'm like, glad. Well. <laughs> so yeah, this has been it's great. been quite the journey. I'll just say that. But hey, what's life is if it isn't a journey? <laughs> so true. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex-positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>